I want to start off with a question for you, each of you. And the question is, is that what would people around you say is your purpose? No, not what you would say, but what would the people around you say? Not not as necessarily even your stated purpose um, or written purpose, but those around you, maybe your neighbors, maybe your family members. If, if you really push came to sh- a shove and they said, well, Tom's purpose is, Dan's purpose is, what would it be for you? What, what would people say is your purpose in life? Particularly your children. Because when it, really when it comes down to it, that there's only so many things that really matter in life when everything is said and done. I just had a, a brother pass on Friday unexpectedly and um, down in Texas, and, and so I'll be going to the funeral there. And, and even as we're singing, your breath is in, it, your, that God gives us breath this last song. And I was just mindful of the reality of that none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, um, that life is short. And the reality that gets back down to is that what will our lives amount to? I had a group of young people, and I took them to a graveyard on Wednesday, and we, I said, just, you know, go around, walk, walk around, look at the grave sites. And, and then I said, uh, what's going to be written on your gravestone? What's, what's your life going to amount to? You know, what's going to be everything said and done? What's your epitaph going to be? My hope is, as we see here, as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, this young man in the faith, he's left him in a city called Ephesus that is, is kind of going off the rails as a church. They, they've gotten into false doctrine and and false teaching is influencing them. And it's having this corroding effect on their lives and immorality and sin. And and so one of the things he does is he helps Timothy understand that the importance of the truth of God's word of sound doctrine, he says he he calls them not to allow people to teach strange doctrines in chapter 1, verse 3. But also in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that the church, those in the church, may, may understand how these are to live. And so you could really summarize this book as a book that talks about authentic Christianity. I mean, what does it really mean to live this genuine life of, of faith with Christ? And so my, my main idea is that the Christian life requires this intentionality about us, this intentional Godward pursuit that is lifelong. That is lifelong. You'll see this later as Paul writes in the second letter to Timothy, as Paul is writing his last will and testament that we have, and calling this to this perseverance as he looks back over his journey. And, and here, if I could summarize, it would be a purposeful life is that what is God calling Timothy to and us as well as we look at it? So going back to the text, I'm going to go ahead and comment as I go through it, and I'm going to give you two simple takeaways at the end and then call you to some type of application as God puts it on your heart. Sounds dangerous? Count me in. Anybody? Know where we're headed? Okay, let's go back to the text together. And so he says in verse 11, having addressed that these false teachers who are motivated by money, he says to this, he says, now in contrast to those false teachers that have this motivation for lucre money, he says, now you, verse Timothy, verse 11. He says, O man of God, flee these things. So he's calling this young man of faith, this, the, who's left there to, to write the, the ship as it were of the church. And he says, I want you to do, I want you to flee these things, and I want you to pursue other things. Notice what he goes on to say pursue righteousness, 
this ongoing application of the gospel in your life, of, of confession of sin, of appropriating Christ's forgiveness. I want you to pursue that in your life. Godliness, this Christ-like character. And then he goes on to say faith, that there's a growing commitment to trust God and his promises and then overflowing to love, that we would demonstrate that in how we relate to one another, this perseverance, this steadfastness, and then this gentleness. Now, when you think of that, if you look at through the passage, you'll see there's these really strong verbs that are there. For example, flee, pursue. You'll go on to see fight shortly here. Take hold of. These are strong verbs he's calling Timothy to, as well as for us today. And, and you think about the word flee, what comes to mind? Flee, to flee something. It's not to walk away or to avoid. It's much more aggressive. It's to flee. Now, I don't know how many of you have had to really run from something. Some of you say, well, I, I used to maybe play football or, or I, I, I maybe I, I was I caught a pass and I would have to flee to the touchdown. That, well, yeah, maybe that kind of works. But flee, I, I think the verb is stronger than that. Um, I've had to run from my life, at least one that comes to my mind, and I, I, was, uh, I was in a, a community right around the lake called, oh, I'm sorry, right around the lake from Chicago um, called Lake um, Niles, Michigan. And it was kind of a depressed, a lot of racial tension. And somehow I got myself in a mess where, where I had gotten in a fight. And the reality of it is I didn't realize the network that this guy had, that I had fought. So that whole summer I was fleeing. I remember one case, at one point, it was a Saturday morning and I was going downtown to, to run an errand for my mom. And I, I looked and I see these two men that are larger than young men. They're, I'm getting ready to go into ninth grade. Um, actually, I'm going ready to go into the 10th grade. They, get, they look, they're, they're at least junior seniors. And one has a bottle and one has a stick. And they look at me and they point and they start running toward me. At that point, it was time to flee. And I did. Um, I, I ran as fast as I could, and they were running after me. And so I flew into a Penny's, a busy, it was a department store, and it was packed with people, and I walked right past everybody in the line, I stood right behind the clerk, and I said, see these two guys? I go, they're after me, can I call my brothers? I'm the youngest of five, the smallest of five at that point, and they escorted me home. They came and got me and kind of escorted me home. But I know what it means to flee, well, it's that kind of language here. He's saying, I want you to be serious, serious about fleeing sin in your life. And in the context of this motivation for money, this motivation. Now, I think really this could be encompassed what, when Paul wrote Timothy, all of the things that preceded it in the book, which talks about immorality and sin. So it's a general attitude, I really think, that could be applied to any sin that, that Paul had in mind when he's challenging Timothy. And he says, flee these things, but you don't just always flee, but you also have to do what? You have to pursue. There's the intentional pursuit of righteousness that there's this ongoing confession. He said, Paul is saying to Timothy, as sin is in your life, I want you to appropriate it daily, the gospel of confession of sin, to appropriate the fact that you've been forgiven. And that's no longer you. It doesn't make sense. Don't live that way. To appropriate the forgiveness of God. And then there's a godliness. There's a Christ-like character that begins to, over time, to pervade your life and to reflect the reality of Jesus to demonstrate this. He says, I want you to pursue that and faith and hope and love and steadfastness and then gentleness. And then verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. You get again this, this aggressive language, this intentionality 
that um, how many of you have ever gone to a water park and, or at least know when I'm talking about Lazy River? Could you raise your hand for me? Yeah, just, okay, so most of you, it's, what it is, is, is part of the water park is, is this kind of a meandering, usually about as narrow as this stage, that kind of makes its way, it's about maybe 100 to 150 yards long, and it goes through the park, and, it, and there's a current that goes through it, and you get on the inner tube, you don't have to do anything, and you float, and thus, you know, by not having to do anything, it's called, what, lazy lazy river, because you don't have to do anything. And sometimes I think in the Christian life, I am tempted, and I think much like I think Timothy was here, is that, and Paul felt needed, inspired by God to challenge him, is to say, I want you to be after it. I want you to be intentional. I want you to fight the good fight of faith. There's this intentionality that's not just kick back and let God, life kind of attitude in life, but this intentional pursuit of God, this purposeful life. So he says, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. That is this call to fulfill what God has called us for, to take hold of eternal life. There's this grasping, this grabbing hold of to which you were called. As God had earlier reminded Timothy in this book, is that he's been called by God, as each one of us are, to know God, to love God, and then to reflect God to our generation, to our world. We're to make disciples that make disciples. We're to make disciples of all nations. And so he's reminding Timothy, as he has throughout this book, that Timothy, you're feeling tired, you're feeling a little bit, you're overwhelmed. He says, I want you to understand that there's this fleeing and this pursuing and this, this aggressive fighting. I want you to invest your life. I want you to be strenuously struggle by the grace of God to fulfill this, this taking hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I think that's what he's referring to as his baptism. And I think maybe his commissioning, it's, it's also referred to also in Timothy's, the letters to Timothy about this laying on of hands of Timothy. There's this kind of formal recognition or ordination of Timothy. And so he's reminding Timothy of God's call on his life. And then verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God. So he's reminding him now who he is standing and serving. There's this accountability. Notice he says, I charge you, Again, that aggressive language, I charge you in the presence of God, this intentionality, who gives life to all. So he's reminding Timothy that the very life that you have is who you serve, and God has given you that life. And I'm charging you before God that that the very breath that you breathe, Timothy, the one who gives you that life, in his presence, representing him, I'm charging you before him, who gives life to all. And Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, he says, made a good confession. And I think that's tying in for in the previous verse, this call to which he also made a profession, right? This, his confession in the presence of many witnesses, Jesus made also a confession before Pontius Pilate. He's reminding Timothy of who he serves. And he says, to keep the commandment, here, here's the charge, to keep the commandment unstained, and free from reproach. This unmixed. He says, I want you to discharge upon your life this call to not only flee and pursue, but also this calling upon your life to live for him, to serve him. He said, I want you to keep this unstained. I don't want you to fall, find yourself distracted and drawn away. And I want you to be free from reproach. There should be no spot or wrinkle in your life until, he says, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. 
He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And he says, Timothy, it's before him I charge you. So Timothy, I'm calling you to this, recognize that your life is not just a matter of lazy river lifestyle Christianity, but I'm calling you, Timothy, be very intentional, very purposeful about your life. Now, let's take a moment now. Now, two takeaways for you. Two takeaways as we consider. The first one is this, that the Christian life, when you think about this, the Christian life requires an intentionality about us. And intentionality. In other words, we need to be purposeful or intentional about our lives. Left to ourselves, we will miss the mark if it's just a matter of living for ourselves. So we have our fire insurance, as it were, for Christians that, hey, I, 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 I put my faith in Christ. I, I know I'm forgiven. And then I'm going to sit back and I'm going to get in my inner tube of life and I'm going to go down lazy river. But but instead, God's calling us to something very, very different here. He's calling us into Timothy as well, is to this pursuit of God, this intentional pursuit of God and his purposes for our lives. The language, again, is he says, flee, pursue, fight, take hold of, I charge you. It's this intentional, aggressive, as it were, pursuit of God. I know it's important for us to recognize in, in our lives that, that there's going to be a tendency toward to be lackadaisical, to, to unplug. And, and even as a pastor, I, I find myself at times being temp- tempted to say, you know, I just want to unplug. Yes, there's a place for recreation. Yes, there's a place for renewal, Sabbath renewals in our lives. You know, we need those rhythms in our lives. But at times I find myself, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting numb to this. I just want to kind of unplug. I just want to get in my inner tube for a while in life. And yet God keeps reminding me over and over again is that, that even as, as believers, our lives should gain momentum over time, right? And so you see the older saints in Scripture is that they weren't, as they, older saints who just said, well, I'm, it's time like in our culture to say you retire, which is a really interesting word. If you, you know, think about just the logistics of that, linguists of that word, that how that breaks down is, is if we, you know, we, we, we step back away from life. But instead, he says, I want you in life that throughout your life, there's this maturing process, this steadfastness that comes that we should gain momentum in life, that there's a greater intentionality that should come. Yes, our energy may change. I'm, I, I get that. I, I've, uh, I've started to do CrossFit over the last couple of years and I, COVID kind of set me back a little bit. So I've rejoined the gym the last three weeks, and I'm amazed that women that are half my size lift more than me. And, and, I'm, and I, I kind of like, what's up? And then, I, and, and then I go, well, I guess I'm getting a little older too. You know? So I give myself a little allowance, and then I'm like, man, go girl, go. I mean, that's like incredible. I mean, those, they're half my size, a lot of energy, and, and yet it reminds me that even though my body, it, it doesn't quite have the same energy level it might have had when I was 20, there should be a growing intentionality and purposefulness about my life. That I should be able, people should be able to look at our lives the older we get with a sense of, of understanding that this person understands what it means to walk with God, to trust God, to believe in God. And so Timothy, as a young pastor, is being challenged in that direction. And I think it's all of us to embrace, as Paul challenges Timothy, this Christian life, this requires this intentional 
pursuit of God, this intentional pursuit of his purposes in our lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, in the second book, he, he talks about in a similar language, but it talks about the importance of fellowship and how we as believers need that. It says we're to do that with others. He says, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, which sound familiar, right? along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we see it's absolutely vital and important for us that we need each other. We need a, 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 a posse, as it were. We need a family. We need other men to journey with as men or, and other sisters in the Lord as well that can journey with other women, right? We need each other. We need to be a family of God that's encouraging each other. You know, time and time again, as I look back in my earlier Christian years, I would come in from the fight. Man, I, I was like dragging my sword. I got, I got my armor's all dung up, and I'm, you know, I'm wounded, and I'm dragging. You know, I'm just stumbling, in, and I kind of stumble into this gathering of God's people, and I, my, it was like they, it, it, it's they, they did therapy on me in. in triage. That's the right word I'm looking for. They did triage on me. I mean, I, I, I needed triage. Like, keep them going. You know, it's just, I needed God's people to remind me of the word of God and of truth. And so it's important as we think about running this race to win and by the grace of God is that we need brothers and sisters to remind us of the gospel of Christ's grace, that he's still with us, that he's working. And particularly as we get older in our walk with God, it goes from needing it to then being in a place, yes, we still need each other, but getting in a place then to, to impart it, right? To be, impart that grace and reminder to one another, to others behind us in this journey. And so the first takeaway is that the Christian life requires intentionality in a Godward direction. This intentionality to God's purposes, his kingdom, and so before we transition from that to the last point, is, is how, how are you doing there in that tensionality? How would those around you, how would they comment about your life? Would you, how would they describe your life? I've often think about that with my daughter. I have a 17-year-old. My son, I, had a son, I have a son, Josh, as well. And I think Josh is a little bit more diplomatic. And if I was to ask him, um, hey, does, what, what's your dad's purpose? And he says, now, what is it? he'd probably say, now, Dad, do you want me to answer what your job is or what your purpose is? I'd say, okay, purpose. Give me, okay, besides, let's assume job has to be taken. Oh, of course, we can't, you know, for, for those who are freed up in ministry that, you know, we can't separate. But really, outside of the paid hours, let's set those aside for a moment. What's my purpose? I think, you know, he, he'd be more diplomatic. Even if he had a challenge with it, he'd be very diplomatic. My daughter, not so much. My 17-year-old, straightforward, pew. She's going to have to marry a strong guy, definitely, definitely, that's uh, in that. Is, um, and so I've often thought, as Eric has been at home for a while, Josh is, is 32, so he's been out of the house for a while, he and his wife. Um, and, but Erica, I've often thought, and, and I've talked to Don a little bit about this, I wonder how Erica would describe her dad's purpose in life. Again, not that so much the job, yes, the job is important, it's vital, it's important, but for the sake of the, our discussion, let's set that aside. When dad is at home, when he's off the clock, I don't know if he ever can be, but let's, let's assume that can happen for the sake of the question. How would my daughter describe me? I thought about that. And the fact that I hesitate in answering that causes me pause a little bit. It causes me pause a little bit in my own life. And, and knowing that I need God's grace too. I mean, that to be the man that God calls me to be, I'm desperate. I'm a desperado. 
What about you? What about you this morning? Let me give you a second takeaway that we see in the text that I'd submit to you. And that is this, is that not only do Christians, the Christian life requires an intentionality, but also the tr- true Christians are to live before an audience of one. Did you notice back in the text what, how Paul charges Timothy? He's charging him to, again, to flee and pursue and fight the good fight of faith and take hold of. But, and I charge you. And then he says, I charge you in the presence of God. He's reminding Timothy who his audience is. He's saying, Timothy, this charge that I'm giving you, Timothy, is before God Almighty, the creator who gives you life and breath, who's called you, who sustains you every day, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that's called you, Timothy. He's the one that we serve. And and I think that applies to every true Christian is to be reminded is that we all live ultimately before an audience of one. Yes, I want my wife to be happy with me, right? I, I want others to respect me and value me. All those things are great, you know, but the reality is and everything said and done, there's really one that ultimately counts. And that's the one who is described here, who gives life to all, who gives me life. The one who is blessed in the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who's always been, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen, to him be honor and eternal dominion or rule over all. It's him who, who I ultimately serve. And so when it comes to me thinking through my life, I have to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you think about my life? If you're the one I ultimately serve, it's, it's as I come to faith in Christ Jesus, the gospel takes root in my life. I know God's great love for me, and I wait out of the ocean of that love for him. It's important that I recognize that the Lord, you have your purposes for me here. And those purposes have to do with making disciples that make disciples. And it's this call to continue to pursue, to make be a light to my neighbors, to be a light to the guys I'm reaching out to, to those I live with. Because again, he says, who gives life to all. And, it's, and, and notice it, it's this, this purposefulness that he says to keep the commandment unstained. I think this commandment has more to do in the context with this call to fight the good fight of faith, this pursuit of the Christian life, to run the race to win, Right? It's that 1 Corinthians 9 and that Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith who's called us to pursue him, to run that race, to set aside the things that entangle us. But yet left to myself, I I have a tendency to to let myself be entangled. The picture there in Hebrews 12 is to lay aside the encumbrances and the sin which so easily entangles us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. But sometimes, like, I want to kind of run in a robe, you know. The, the point there in, in Hebrews is that we, it, it's, it's to lay aside the things that are kind of floating around and that are peripheral and that are, they're just extra baggage. And yet, the writer of Hebrews calls the, the listeners there is to set those things aside. And, and God calls me continually to be one that's looking at my life to say, God, what do you want me to set aside? You know, what, Lord, how can I fight this good fight of faith? How can I take hold of this without stain or reproach? And when those things do happen, and when I respond wrongly to my wife or frustrated, or, or when I, I find myself in a situation where I, I choose to not honor God, but choose to honor Tom, 
is I need to be one that confesses. As God brings that to focus in my heart, is to draw upon the forgiveness I already have in Christ that, that never runs dry, but to acknowledge that, God, that's, that's not how I, I am to live. But again, he, he calls us with this sense of respect and reverence in the presence of God who gives life to all, who li- who's, this talks about this un- unapproachable light, is the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's a respect about it. And the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is my picture of my father. My father was a big man. He was about as tall as I am, heavier. And as young children, we would wrestle and fight. We had, there's six of us within five years in a set of twins, a good Catholic family, right? So there's six of us in five years. And we fought like cats and dogs. So five boys. And I, I remember... There's, we lived in these old historical houses. And when dad comes up the steps, there's a certain sound those creaking steps make versus if it's my mom or if it's my sister. And I remember we, we'd be wrestling and, and, or when we're supposed to be making our, our beds in our room or cleaning our room. And all of a sudden, we would hear that noise of somebody coming up the steps. And it would, everybody would take a moment and stop and they would try to decipher, is it dad? And how quick was the pace? Because the pace would determine the mood to which he was coming up the steps. Are you with me? And so I remember that it was like, uh-oh, we know it's dad, and he's coming, and uh, there's a time of accounting that's going to happen here shortly. <laughs> and so I remember just, you know, we would all kind of all of a sudden pretend to be, <laughs> to be these domestic managers with our beds, you know, all, you know trying to grab the pillows. <laughs> it was a joke. It was like, dad wasn't born yesterday, right? But all the more, and, and dad loved us, you know, even though there was a fear, I'll tell you that. Um, is it, but that, that fear and reverence for God is, is so much greater in, in, with worship, right? To know the one whom we serve, and there's this conscious acknowledgement that I live in his grace, and I want to please him. Him, he who is awesome and wonderful and made us by himself and for himself, who is, scripture talks about just in creation, if you just think about space and universe and our, just our galaxy, and you start to study those things and your mind goes, of just the immensity and the power of God, yet he so personally knows us by name. He so personally is aware of our journey so personally aware of where I am today and what I struggle with and the fears I have for my son and potential future grandchildren. All those things he knows about. And he's calling me to be purposeful and intentional, to trust him on this journey, this great journey as we seek to be ones who make disciples for him, for his glory. And so with that said, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Is, is how does this hit you this morning? You know, where, where does this, this, this call to this intentional, this purposefulness about our lives, how does it intersect your world today? Would you take a minute? I just invite you to just to join me just for a few moments, maybe a minute or two of, of silent reflection. Of where, where does this mean, mean for you? Where, where does this intersect your life today? To which none of us are promised tomorrow. You know, what is God saying to you? So would you take a moment and just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything you want me to embrace? Whether it's to be encouraged, to God, I just am reminded, Lord, of your, good, your great love for me today. And I want to just wait out of the ocean of your love for me and your grace today. In this call to, not from aimlessness, but to purpose.
and value because of what you have done for me and that you have called me, like Timothy, as a man or woman to love you, to serve you. Or maybe for others, it, there's this, this edge of, of where God has put his, his spirit's light upon, there's an area of your life where God wants you to set that aside or to ask for his grace or to, to know his mercy and forgiveness again, afresh, anew. As we close off in prayer in a moment, I just want to ask you to glance back up here. and I, I tend to not go too far from this little deal. It's a metal spike. Do you see what's written on it? It says my sin. That's, that's what's written on it, my sin. And uh, I, I'm mindful of it because it, it brings me back to the cross, right? And what he who knew no sin became not just simply sin, but my sin on the cross. That he bore my rebellion, my indifference, my at times hostility, my foolishness, my perversion. He, he bore it all on the cross. That I might be his blood-bought son. Signed, sealed, and what? Delivered, right? And if you haven't come to that place of, of faith in Christ, you as a young person, maybe you're a young person where you've heard a lot of it, or maybe you're here and you're just checking out Jesus and you think religion would be a good thing to do and, and this is time to do it. Let me invite you to believe in the one who knows you and who made you, Scripture says, by himself and for himself. And his call to you is simply to look away from yourself to him who died in your place. He took your hell upon himself when the nails were driven through his hands and his feet that you might have heaven and that you might have life with him, forgiveness. And so my, my encouragement to you and plead to you, and as young people even, as you listen, you young people that are here, is, is to know that that's, you'll never get to heaven based on your parents' faith. It's got to be your faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then for us who have known this mercy of God, right? We took my sin. Let's never go far from it, the cross. Let's never go far from the realization that, it, that he took my hell, that I might have his, his heaven, right? Would you join me as we close off in prayer? Um, Father, thank you, Lord, for um, your mercies, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that, that you know exactly where each of us are, that you've ordained today before we were even born. And you brought us together here for such a time as this. And so I ask, Lord, that you would speak to each person here as only you can through your word. And there would be an honest response in their hearts. If there is any here without you, who are trusting in anything but the blood of Christ, but anything but the cross, anything but Jesus' death and resurrection for their sin. Not religion, not church attendance, not a good life, not moralism, not effort, but if there's any that are trusting in anything but Jesus, would you, Lord, convict them of their desperate need for him? 
And in their hearts, they would cry out to believe. And for those of us who have known that mercy, Lord, we, we just present ourselves afresh to you today and we say, Lord, here we are. Our lives are yours. Lord, we want to finish well. We want to, we want to flee. We want to pursue. We want to take hold of. We want to fight the good fight of faith. But we know it's all your grace. And so we, we're here. We present ourselves afresh to you today. You who is the only God, sovereign, Lord of lords, King of kings. We say, here we are, Lord. 